Amen. So we'll be, again, Psalm 33. And let's uh, read it in its entirety. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers up the water of the seas uh, as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the heart of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. We'll conclude our reading for this morning. <clears throat> um, we're continuing in a, a series through the book of the first 50 chapters of Psalms this year, and, and we're looking at heart, soul, and mind, how we um, will be living out this, how the Psalms give voice to everything that we experience in life. And, and, and our heart and our soul and our mind. Sometimes we can't, we're going through things where we can't put words to and we can flip through the Psalms and read them and be, uh, and, and be like, man, God has given us a song, a poem here for us to, to articulate what we're going through. And, uh, and so we've looked at a variety of different Psalms already. And uh, today's a, a Psalm of praise. It's an invitation to praise the Lord. And it's a, uh, it's a Psalm that actually doesn't have, um, is not, uh, we don't actually know who wrote it, although it's been traditionally ascribed to David, um, and uh, and it's it's lumped together with the Davidic Psalms as a song of praise. We also don't know what the event that happened that might have uh, spurred the the writing of this psalm, which I, again is I like because this is a general call to praise the Lord. It's an opportunity for us to turn our attention off of our lives and our circumstances and onto our Creator and to our God. And so I I found as we read it, it's just a it's a it's an invitation for a Christian to live uh, a joyful life with a glad heart um, by praising their Savior um, all the days. And I, one of the, the New Testament passages that came to mind while I was reading through this was the, uh, in Luke chapter 5. 
and verse 12 through 15, which says, While uh, Jesus was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him, and he healed them of their infirmities. I was thinking about this one because the leper came to Jesus and didn't say, uh, heal me, he said, make me clean. Um, and that Jesus did, and, he, he did, and, then the, the, and the, the picture of coming to God in our infirmities, in our, our sin, and needing to be cleansed and forgiven. Um, and when it happened, the response of the leper, it doesn't really say it specifically other than we hear what happened is the crowds began to hear and gathered because he left there. And he told people, he sang about it, he, told, he, he proclaimed the goodness that was, was going throughout, that happened to him, and he wanted everybody else to know because of what Jesus has done for him. And a, and a psalm of praise is, a, is an invitation for us to, to recognize what God has done, who he is, and how when we come to him as Christians who have been forgiven of our sins, uh, have been justified, have been sanctified, have been given, adopted into his family, have been given the promise of heaven, as, as Michael stated, in the, the, the keys to heaven, like, uh, because Christ is mine forevermore. When we come to him and we know these truths uh, and we believe them, we should, of all people, be joyful. Uh, it's not um, a call to uh, pretend everything's fine and everything's okay all the time. Joy and gladness of heart is different than happiness and fake, especially fake happiness. It's, it's having a sense of confidence and surety beyond what we're experiencing in this. And even though we may go through difficulties in life trials, that we can then turn to our God knowing that he promises to be with us through the difficult things and that he will give us the strength um, to endure and persevere, and then as we persevere and see his faithfulness, whether in this life or the next, that we will be fully rewarded for placing our trust in him. He is our, our confidence and our hope. And so uh, and we'll start here in the, in the very beginning with a, just a call to praise uh, that he says, shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Those who are in a right relationship with God Praise is befitting them. It is, is what we should be doing. It's what our lives should be about. Now, I, I like to draw attention that when we gather together, and I've been trying to change my language to talk about our, 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 our when we call worship services or um, our gatherings, but to think of them more like celebrations together or praise services, but worship is what we do with our lives if we're a Christian. And, and the songs we sing are only worship when the attitudes of our heart and, the, and our actions are obedient to God's word, and then it is an expression of who we are in Christ. But if we're just giving, singing nice songs, those don't necessarily mean we're worshiping God. We may be praising and lifting up good words, but worship is more than just a song. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is something that we um, need to learn to um, understand everything we do, we do unto the Lord and we can worship him. And whether we're here together as a gathered community or we're in our homes or in our workplaces or in our schools, on our sports team, in our band, wherever we are, that we are 
honoring God, we're being obedient, and we're learning to cultivate desires that God would want us to, and attitudes that God would want us to have, and our language begins to change, and our, and our actions change to honor God, because he is our focus in our lives. And so, um, but there's a, there's a place for worship and, uh, and praise in our life. It says to give thanks with the lyre, make melody with the harp, and verse 3 it says, play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Um, and so he's calling us to use instruments to worship and praise God. I'm so thankful for our praise teams here who come together to use their gifts and their talents to help usher us into the presence of God through, through singing, um, to bring joyful songs, and to see how praise and joy come together even in sorrows and struggles. And I think we had a beautiful picture this morning of Michael shared from his heart going through a sorrow, but also seeing the the goodness and kindness of God and the joy that that brings. So how can we sing a joyful song that identifies the struggles and tragedies of life? It's because God is real, God is present, and God will deliver. And so this is why we want to use our gifts and talents to help point us to God, because music is very powerful. Instruments are powerful, but music itself uh, is, is amoral. It doesn't, the music is not good or bad on its own. It's what we do with it and what lyrics we put over top of it. And, and so when we, when we, but music has a tendency to help move our, 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 our spirit our, our, and, uh, and how we're feeling. And then when we couple our feeling and the movement that music brings us with godly lyrics, and truths to hold on to. It helps us remember and retain. And so when Paul says in Ephesians to speak to, get to, to each other in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, he's telling us this is how you will bring the truth of God with you throughout the week and your days. Now, they were not a literary culture at the time. They didn't have a Bible. They didn't have Bible apps. Uh, they, they had Bibles in their churches, copies and fragments of Bibles that they had to use to memorize and share and try to take with them throughout the week. Uh, and so they would have to memorize and share through songs, hymns, and spiritual songs, uh, making melody in their heart so that throughout the week they could remember that. Now, we are a spoiled people who many of us have multiple copies of the scriptures and different translations in our homes, and we have Bible apps on our phone and our iPads, on our computers, and then yet we neglect that book. And sometimes we neglect the, the songs that carry the truths of that book, and we get caught up with the message of the world and where our week is inundated with satanic, demonic, unspiritual messages continually beating us down, and there's no wonder we are not a joyous people. It's no wonder that we struggle with our confidence in God, because all week long, the enemy's saying is, God doesn't love you. You're not worth anything. Nobody likes you. You don't belong anywhere. And, uh, and he's just chipping away because we're listening to his message that brings the sacredness of marriage and the sacredness of sex, and it brings down um, the importance of true community and, and service and helping others by making it all about us and our pleasures and our desires and our perversions, and it just gets overflowed because we are listening to stuff that just tears our souls apart. And then we get a brief message once or twice a week and say, I'm good as a Christian. But God's like, no, you need to focus your attention on God to be reminded of who he is through song, 
uh, that we should have a new song in our heart and that learning new songs that remind us of not just what God has been faithful to in the past, but the new things that he's doing in the present and how we can marry the two, the, the faithfulness of God from the past to what he's doing in our lives and going. And so sometimes when we have a rendition of an old hymn that has added a, a new lyric to it, just and it brings two beautiful songs together for us to be like, yes, God still is this same God and he's still working today. It's a beautiful thing. But new song doesn't necessarily mean we have to sing an actual new song. It's a new song in our heart that helps us see the goodness of God and that an old song comes to life in new ways when we repent and we see God anew and we see him afresh and, uh, and he brings this new attitude. And so it's aligning our, our heart through, through song, through learning and through praising the Lord. And in uh, and, and John 4, 24, Jesus said, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. It is who we worship that with our whole being and, and being completely honest, and that's where oftentimes when we are living a life that is not consistent with God's word and disobedience throughout the week, and then we try to come uh, and then make up for it on a Sunday, is, is missing the, the point that God wants us to be in relationship with him every day. And so Søren Kierkegaard said it this way, the reward of a good man is to be showed, is to be allowed to worship in truth. That those who are in a right relationship with God are, are permitted and allowed and invited to worship in truth. So here, after uh, this invitation to praise, um, I, I feel like the psalmist here gives us what a good song focuses on throughout the rest of the, the, the psalm here. A good song focuses on the character of God here in verses 4 and 5. He says, For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his steadfast love of the Lord. And uh, he wants, the psalmist wants us to fix our eyes on our creator, to remember his character, who he is, and what he has done. Uh, as, I, as I considered this part, it's, it rem reminded me of Hebrews 12 that says that we should fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That we are to consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that we may not grow weary or faint-hearted. That Jesus came and endured such things for us because of who he is and his love for us and and so we want to fix our eyes and look to him another verse that remind me about fixing our eyes is isaiah 26 3 through 4 you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you trust in the lord forever for the lord god is an everlasting rock to, to look to the character of God, to look to the person of God, to know the nature of God is, uh, is a privilege that we have as believers who have access to him through his revealed word. He is the God who has spoken. He has disclosed himself in the written scriptures and preserved them for us to know him, to know who he is and what he has done. Here the psalmist wants to draw our attention to something very specific as he uses Lord, all caps, L-O-R-D, 13 times in these 22 verses. Now, if you're reading through in your English Bibles, anytime you see Lord in all caps, it is referring to Yahweh or the Tetragrammaton. Uh, and then 
when you see capital L, lowercase O-R-D, that's just Adon or Adonai. And there's a difference in the implications and meaning of those because Lord, lowercase O-R-D, is a title given. Um, but all caps Lord, Yahweh, is the personal name of God that he revealed to Moses at Mount Sinai when he said, I am that I am. That the faithful covenant-keeping God uh, is, is who I am. And, that, and so when we think of Yahweh throughout this song, he over and over is giving a specific statement of a personal God who knows his people, who's involved in their lives, and who is faithful to his word and his covenant. So he says, for the word of the Lord is upright and all his works are done in faithfulness. This is covenant language that our God... Yahweh is a faithful covenant-keeping God, and everything he does is consistent and faithful to the covenant that he gave his people. And so he wants us to remember these specific covenants on that, that he is, uh, is faithful and active. And so the covenant faithfulness of God is also seen in the steadfast loving kindness, or, or the chesed love, the covenant love of God. So the covenants of the Bible that God began and throughout the, the Hebrew scriptures remind us that uh, each time God revealed a little bit more about himself and, and added a requirement to his people in the proper relationship with them. Um, and he gives a, uh, uh, an invitation for a people to be in covenant relationship with him. But as we go through the scriptures, we see that the people of God continue to break the covenant with God. And because they broke the covenant with God, like God was within his rights to just say, I'm done with you people. But his, his loving kindness, his steadfast love is saying, I'm, I'm not done. I'm going to issue a new covenant. And when they broke that covenant, I'm going to issue a new covenant. And when they broke that, he said, well, they're not going to be able to keep this. So I'm going to send forth my son into this world, and he's going to enter into their place as a human and he's going to live in fulfillment of all these covenants and complete fulfillment of the law which you and I break and cannot keep so that the covenant faithfulness of God will be secured and finished and anyone who's in Christ then has, is, is seen as a, a, a covenant and covenant relationship with God uh, that he will carry us into uh, the future. And to, so this, this praise of Christ is mine forevermore is so key because I'm a covenant breaker and only in Christ can the, the covenant be fulfilled and he is a covenant keeper and so when we look at, at David if David is the one who wrote this and he was one who was in a covenant relationship with God and one of the covenants is the Davidic covenant that God said through him that through his line that all the nations of the world will be blessed and so for him to be a, a one who wants to sing praise uh, would seem I'm like, man, he got a covenant from God. Of course he would want to sing praise and invite others to sing praise and covenant with God. But we all who, have known, who know Jesus Christ are in the new covenant. Uh, and it's a, it's, a, it's a covenant that Jesus has enacted on our behalf and invited us into. And so then we, have, we are in a personal covenant with Yahweh through Jesus Christ. And so his, his work is done in faithfulness and he is faithful to his covenants even when we break them. But I forgot in verse 5 it was interesting um, when it says he loves righteousness and justice. And so the word for love here in the Hebrew is the friendship love or brotherly love type where uh, and, and uh, really you could say it this way that, that God loves is 
the, the righteous and the just, that he's in a friendship relationship. And David was once called the friend of God. But then it says he is a, a um, and the rest of verse 5 says, the earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. And there he goes from the friendship love to the chesed love, the covenant-keeping love of God. And then the earth is full. So God is pouring out and pouring out and pouring out to all the world for them to know who he is, that he wants the world to know. And, and that's part of a, one of the reasons why we do something like REACH, where we want to invest in missionaries who are going throughout all the world because God wants the entire world to know of his love. Um, and he is faithfully calling sinners to repentance throughout the world. But then in 6 through 9, we, we have uh, this, this call, this reminder of the, the creation of God, that he is worthy to be praised and should give us joy and gladness in our hearts because God is the creator. By his word, the heavens were made. And they're reminding us to go back into Genesis 1, and it says, and God said, and it was. He spoke the world into to existence. And the, and the creation should cause us both to, to have the fear of the Lord, of, man, that he is so much bigger and other and beyond anything I can, uh, can comprehend and, and be in awe and in a loving respect of him. When we just look at nature, I, I love going on hikes. I love getting out in the, um, into nature. I love mountains, being at the oceans. But then when you get the experience holding a newborn baby or even just if you just look down at your hands and, 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 look at the, and marvel at, at the fingerprints and the way God has designed us, um, is just, it's amazing to see that God spoke this into existence, that we are not accidents, that God created with intention and, uh, and tells us not only that, but he numbered all of our days and he, know, he put us where we are and we're, we're supposed to be here, that God has a plan and this should cause us to wonder in amazement that God is beyond us and our understanding. And John 1 one says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So here in John 1, John is, is tying, showing us that Jesus was involved in creation. We see in Genesis 1 that the Father is involved in creation, and that we should praise him because of his work in creation. But here the Word of God is, is, is talked about as Jesus Christ and inviting us to look to him. Again, Colossians says, for by him, uh, one says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And so we see that God's involved and Jesus is involved in creation, but all, the next phrase says, by the breath of his mouth, that um, that the heavens were, uh, by breath of his mouth, all, uh, sorry, I just totally lost my place. And by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts, that, that this word breath here um, is, is the word that is also used for the spirit of God. Spurgeon said it this way, the word breath is the same as elsewhere renders spirit. Thus the three persons of the Godhead unite in creating all things. So we, what I think is amazing here that in the creation we see the nature of God, that he is Father, Son, he's Holy Spirit, that all three persons of the, of the Trinity throughout scriptures are, are pointed to in involvement with creation, and creation is a statement of God's deity throughout, all throughout, and when we look, look at it, that, man, 
creation points to the fact that God is other than us. He is different than us. He's beyond us and more powerful than us. Um, and, and so the Trinity is one of those doctrines for me that is always overwhelming. It's, it's something that I can't fully comprehend. That God has revealed himself in a way that is adequate for us to come to a knowledge of him and relationship with him, but he's also left the secret things that belong to him where we can't fully wrap our minds around who God is. So when I was in seminary, um, I was getting a little bit prideful and overconfident in my knowledge of God, thinking I, I had things figured out. I got my hands wrapped around different doctrines and understandings, and, and, um, and, uh, and I, I didn't even recognize my pride growing in those things until we started studying the doctrine of the Trinity and trying to understand how God could be three in one. Um, you know, I'm just one person, one essence. God's three persons, one essence. It doesn't really make sense to me, but I believe it. Um, and then that God is in perfect love relationship with the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, lacking nothing, needing nothing. He doesn't need our praise. Uh, he doesn't need anything, but he invites us into a love relationship with him. That a perfect love relationship, lacking nothing, says, hey, you, I want you. I want you to be a part of this. This is good. I can't wait to share this with you. The perfect love of God, the steadfast loving kindness of God that's displayed from eternity past within the Trinity is being offered to us, and, uh, and it's not something we deserve or can explain why God would invite us into that love relationship. It is something that if we begin to try to understand, we, we will get to a place and realize that we, we cannot. And then it, it dawned on me that it's a good thing that I can't fully understand God. Because if I can understand God, then he's no greater than Brad. And that would be a pretty puny God. <laughs> uh, you know, God is small. Uh, it would be small if, if I can understand everything about him. But when I encounter something about God that is like, whoa, this is bigger than my comprehension, that it does bring a fear of the Lord, because it's beyond us, it's other than. It brings an awe of the Lord, but it should also give us a, a confidence and of, man, yes, God is greater than me. God is greater than this world. God is bigger than everything else, and that should cause worship and praise and not, uh, and not allow it to our own pride to want to know everything keep us from experiencing that loving kindness that he's offering to us. And so we move from the creativity of, the, of God to the, the command of God in verse 10 through 19. And, and moving through this section, there's a whole lot we could, we could talk about, but the command of God, or another way to say it is, is God is sovereign over all nations, all people, all things. Uh, and again, Spurgeon says the the cause of God is never in danger. Internal craft is outwitted by infinite wisdom and satanic malice held in check by boundless power. God is bigger than all the schemes of man and all the nations of the world, and his plans will stand. But when he says here in, uh, uh, in verse 10, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. Uh, it is a reminder that politics is not the answer to our life's problems and the eternal problems. Paul, 
and, and I was trying to think through this and had conversations recently, obviously, with elections and stuff that come up and go. They, every time they, they come around, there's a lot of different arguments. Um, as an American citizen, like, we should do our part, and we should vote our conscience, and we should participate in a, an experiment of a, of a government that is unlike anything else, even as the, the Bible depicts uh, throughout the Old Testament, monarchies and empires, and, uh, and a lot of the commands it talks about, um, we'll talk about someone under an emperor who is pagan emperor, to honor your emperor, and, and, and so the Bible describes it in that sense. And then we live in a place in time where we get to participate. Um, and so we need to do that with faithfulness and consistency with the word of God. Uh, but also remember that we're not first Americans. We're first Christians. And then to be first Christian means that the, the word of God takes supremacy over anything that a citizenship to America has to do. And so... Yes, as an American, I go and I vote my conscience, but as a Christian, my confidence is in my Savior. My confidence is in a God who thwarts the counsel of the nations. Like, they cannot do anything outside of what he allows to happen. And we don't always understand why God moves nations in different ways. We can't always see the big picture because we're living in our little dot in our world our little time period that we, we see, but God is outside of all these things, and he sees the big picture. And when we read back and, and read through the Old Testament, and we, in just a few minutes, we, we, just, we go through 400 years of history without even realizing it. And uh, we're like, but we see what God was doing, but we have the luxury of reading it, you know, looking back on it, and, and the fulfilled history instead of living in that moment and trying to see what God is doing in those 400 silent years in Egypt. You know, they're like, where are, where's our, and how many of them uh, may have given up their, their, their faith because God was silent for 400 years, but God was not absent. God was not unknowing. Instead, he was waiting uh, for his plan to come to fruition. So our job is to remain faithful to God no matter what, the political or national stories are going on, that we want to be, remain consistent to what he's called us to, to be joyful people no matter what the circumstances or no matter which way a vote goes in our favor or against uh, what our, our wishes are, that we live it out every day, faithful to God, blessing our neighbors, encouraging those around us, whether we agree with them or not, uh, that we're called to be represent, representatives of Christ. And so the sovereignty of God gives us a confidence and a joy because he is doing something and is in control even when I don't always see it. He says in uh, verse 12, said, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. And we understand in the, in the original context here, David is ca calling out to the chosen people of God, the nation of Israel. And when they were faithful to uh, and kept their, their faith in God, that they saw the blessing of God, and we also see that when they were disobedient and rejected God, that they were cursed and they struggled through it, but this word nation here is actually goy, or uh, uh, it's, it's more of a, uh, it's not specifically towards Israel, it's, it is nation or people, it also is, uh, goyim is also the, the Hebrew word for Gentiles, and I thought this was pretty fascinating to me because here David is writing, blessed is, could, could, Translate, blessed are the people of the Gentiles whose God is the Lord. 
maybe not even realizing that he's speaking in, in a prophetic way of you and I sitting in here today having faith in the one true God and receiving his blessing. And we really could look at this, the people of, uh, blessed is the, the person, people whose God is the Lord, is a truthful statement, beginning in our families, in our communities, in our churches, and our nations, that if we pers- uh, seek God and, and we honor God and he is our Lord, that those around us, uh, that we will be blessed and those around us will be blessed. Because even the next part of that says the people whom he has chosen uh, is a, the people here is a different word, um, which is a, a people, is family citizens, that blessed are the people whose God is the Lord and the citizens whom he has chosen as his heritage is one way to, to translate that or look at it. Um, and it's a good reminder that our citizenship is in heaven, as Paul says in Philippians 3.20, that, that we belong to God that we are a different people, we're not of this world, that we are called out people group. The church is not a building we go to. The church is a called out people group. It's uh, those who are set apart for God. And, uh, and so, and then being reminded there in verse 13 through 15 that God sees, he knows, and he is not unaware of what's happening. The Lord looks down from heaven, he sees the children of man from where he sits enthroned. He looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He, he who fashioned the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. He, so God, God sees all. He knows all. He's aware of all. Um, and here, looking at the nations who are in rebellion against God, God is aware. God knows. He is not unaware. And one day, uh, as we're reminded in the New Testament, that, uh, that God will set all things right, that he will return and set all things right, and vengeance is God's, and, uh, and it belongs to him. And uh, our, in, in this, we look back and say, God is in control. He sees it. Oz Guinness said it this way. He says, I live before the audience of one. Before others, I have nothing to gain, nothing to lose, nothing to prove. This is a reminder that God sees all, that I live, I need to live in, in, before God, and the audience of one, that it doesn't matter uh, <clears throat> what other people think. It matters what God thinks, and God sees and God sees us when we're here together, but he sees us in, uh, in the, the quietness of our hearts and our homes. He knows who we are and what we are. And, uh, and, and so we want to live recognizing that God is, is, is there. He sees all. It's one of both uh, accountability and uh, assurance that God doesn't forget about me. You know, that God, he is watching, but we also know that he's a God of loving kindness and forgiveness. So when I sin and I fail, that he will forgive. But it's also that when I feel that I'm in a desert place, that I'm forgotten, that God hasn't forgotten, that God sees. Hagar called him, uh, called God El Roy, or the God who sees in Genesis 16, 13. She called to the, the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. And in her story, she was cast out and running and was fearing for her life in a desert place. And God met her and took care of her. And this reminder that God sees. Um, and what a, what a blessing it is that we have a God who sees. And then uh, in verse 16, we see that human strength provides a false hope that the horses cannot win the victory, that God is bigger, uh, that our, our surety needs to come not from our, our wealth, our strength, 
our earthly possessions, but should come from our, our God. And so therefore, as we work through this, our correct response then is to wait, to trust, to be glad, and to hope. He's, he concludes it with, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. This is a hard one sometimes uh, to wait on the Lord. Our soul waits on the Lord. Like <clears throat> uh, Waiting uh, can be very difficult, especially as we've developed a culture that's very fast-paced, instantaneous, uh, you know, and uh, all of our advertising and stuff is just get it your way right away. And we'd go through drive-throughs, and uh, even <laughs> one of my buddies wanted to come over and and cook at the house last night. I'm looking; it's like 6:30, and he still had to go to the store and shop. And I'm like, you know, it's it's going to be an hour before you're back from the store, and then it's going to take you like an hour or so. So you're talking dinner time at 9:30. Like I want to be in bed at 9:30. Um, but uh, you know, but it was like this. I I was like, we could just run out and grab something really quick. But then, no, it was, it was an uh, experience to have the patience and uh, the community that we had as, as a group of guys together uh, throughout that whole time. And it was, uh, it's good, but yeah, they have this tendency, no, I want this right now, right away. Um, instead, we need to wait on the Lord. And, you know, there are things in life that are worth waiting for. And, you know, with God, it's, it's worth waiting for because when we wait on him, we see him move in ways that we would never experience if we rush things. In Exodus 14, 13 through 14, Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. It's like, they were leaving, um, you know, slavery for 400 years behind. They're in, going into the wilderness, and God is leading them. The army of, of Egypt is coming after them, and uh, they're panicking. Do you ever get a little panicky? I do sometimes. You know, like, things aren't going the way I think they should. What's happening? And, and God's like, hey, just wait on, wait on me. Trust me. Trust me. And so Moses says, wait, people. Just wait. Watch what God does. You just need to be silent and watch God in this moment. And, uh, and so God delivered, and he destroyed the armies of Egypt, and they were set free. <clears throat> and then we're reminded also in Isaiah 40, 31, but they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. So waiting on the Lord is in way that we trust our God. And then we are glad in heart because our hope is in a God who has pursued us, has redeemed us, has provided that confidence that this life isn't everything, that this current circumstance isn't going to define my reality, that God is what defines our reality, that God is bigger than uh, he is present, he's in the midst with us, and his promises will carry us through when we place our trust in him. And so hope here, again, is a, a confident assurance that God is who he says he is, that God has done what he said he would do, and that God will do what he promises to do, that God sees you, that God's with you, that God will empower you as we 
trust in him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this song of, of praise, a reminder that we can sing to you in joy because, Lord, you are a God of character, of truth. Lord, that you are the God of creation. Lord, that you are the sovereign God who's in control, even when I don't perceive or understand these things. Lord, I pray that we would have hearts and lives that respond to you appropriately with a, with a glad song, with a joy, a, a shout of praise and encouragement to others because you are working, that, that you have redeemed us, you've adopted us, you have sanctified us, you've given us a promise of, of a home with you for all the eternity. Lord, we pray that your spirit will strengthen us day to day, week to week, that we could see that in everything we do, that we have an opportunity to worship you as we live with a recognition of your presence in our life and joyfully obey. In Jesus' name, amen.